It's Sunday morning. Time for the Great Outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Good morning and welcome to the Great Outdoors show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. Thank you for being with me this morning. I'm not really sure where this morning's show is going to go. Don't change the channel, the dial. But I'm going to talk today about an outdoor experience, at least for the first part of the show, that took place indoors. And it's a personal experience that happened to me last Saturday night. Not last night, but the Saturday before. And it's the kind of experience that you hope you never have in your life, but which you spend, I believe, most of your life preparing for, only to find out you're completely unprepared. So what am I talking about? Let me set the setting. I am in rural Montana, very rural Montana, on a ranch, in a ranch house that I know well, and... I went to bed about 11.15 because I had to get up at 4.15, so a fast night's sleep, uh, to get on an airplane to come back to Chicago. And I've always prepared when I'm in a rural setting alone, what would I do if something went wrong in the middle of the night, i.e., suddenly I wasn't alone in the house? thought none of us want to have, but I know every one of you listening has thought, had that thought. Even if you're in an apartment in Chicago, what would I do in the middle of the night if I wasn't alone in my apartment? Or if you're listening to me in Naperville this morning or St. Charles, wherever you might be listening, northern Wisconsin, it doesn't matter. What would I do if I wasn't alone? In my case, at this particular ranch, which I know well, I've always slept with a shotgun in the room when I'm there alone. And my plan of attack, action had always been, is if I thought I wasn't alone in the house, I get out of bed, I put a pair of shoes on, I grab my gun, it's on the ground floor, I go out the window, and I would just run. And I'd run as far as I could and get away from it. So that was been my plan for years. It's my plan, any rural setting. How do you get away if something happens? So for the Great Outdoors show... Lots of us go to very remote locations, and things can happen, particularly in this world, unfortunately, of meth and all these terrible things that are happening in rural areas. 20 of 3 in the morning, I awake to the sound of a crash. Now, mind you, I'm completely alone. I awake to the sound of a crash. It startles me. I open my eyes, and the next thing I see are searchlights coming in the bedroom window and going across the creek into the cornfield. I'm sure your reaction is the same as mine. Oh, my God. What is happening? So I didn't throw on the bedroom light. I guess I've watched too many movies. I leapt out of bed. I hit the floor, and I crawled over to the window, and I looked out, and all I saw was an individual with a great big spotlight shining it, across the grass, into the field, and then back into my window, at which point I ducked. 
I did not have my shotgun in the room because I'd only been asleep for five hours. For some reason, I left it in the safe, which was just down the hall. And as I start to crawl to the safe, on the other side of the house, there are two spotlights doing the same thing. I crawl over to the window. I peep out the window, and there are three individuals. It's pitch black. There's, there's no ambient light of any kind. The three individuals with high-powered searchlights raking the house and the lawn. So I crawl to the safe. I open the safe. It's totally dark. My heart is racing a thousand miles a minute. Now, mind you, this is this is a matter of just a couple minutes. This has all happened. You're groggy as can be. So forget that well thought out plan you have. It doesn't work. You're completely groggy. You kind of don't know where you are. You try waking up on two hours sleep and seeing how you feel in the middle of the night. I get the safe open by it's a, it's a uh, not a fortunately not a combination dial, but it was a push button like a phone. I knew where the numbers were. I opened it. I grabbed the 20 gauge shotgun, which is right the first gun I could grab, and I crawl back to the bedroom. I knew I had 20 gauge shotgun shells in the closet. I go into the closet. I grab the 20 gauge shotgun shells. I an over and under, and I throw them into the gun, and they disappear. I had just deposited 28 gauge shotgun shells into a 20 gauge shotgun, rendering it completely useless. My heart is racing. My mind is racing. I leave the gun on the floor. I crawl back the 50 feet to the safe. I grab the 12 gauge Beretta, which I know can hold five shells because it was unplugged because I'd been shooting at a skeet range not that long ago. Thank goodness. I go back into the closet. This time I grab five. Uh, number steel, four shot, and I put them in the gun as fast as I can. I grab my phone, and I get in the corner of the room. Now, these lights are still coming in my window, and I don't know who these people are. I grab my phone, and I get in the corner of the room, putting the bed between me and the door. I aim the gun at the door, just put it on the bed, aim the gun at the door, and I dial 911. I'm sure you're all thinking, what? <laughs> why didn't you do that right away? Well, I didn't know what was going on right away, and I still didn't know what was going on. All I knew is there were three men with high-powered spotlights casing the, the remote ranch house, and obviously there for one purpose, to break in and steal stuff. So I didn't turn on any lights. I dial 911. They pick up the phone, and I tell them my address, and they say, the sheriff's department's already there. And I said, what do you mean the sheriff's department's already here? How, I, how could they be here? And there happens to be an individual, a couple that lives on this ranch. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, they woke up in the, at 2 o'clock in the morning because the dog that was sleeping in their room happens to be my black lab. The dog had jumped off the bed had awakened them with jumping off the bed, and they looked outside and they saw a flashlight. So they dialed 911 and told the police that there was somebody on this property. So the spotlights I'm looking at and the three individuals, now I have to assume that they're not people trying to break into the house I'm in, but that they are, in fact, the sheriff's department. So I'm still not really sure what to make of all this. I tell 911 to stay on the phone. 
That part I told you about, I'd always said, no matter where I've been, if someone breaks in, I'm grabbing my shoe, I'm putting my shoes on, and I'm running out the nearest door and running as far away as I can because the last thing you want to do is confront somebody. Well, I forgot to tell you, I left my shoes at the other end of the house because at 4.15 in the morning when I was going to the airport, I wanted everything to be in one place. I just simply wanted to get dressed, put my shoes on, and go to the airport. So I didn't have my shoes to throw on and jump out the window or climb out the window or run out the nearest door. No, that part of the, my that part of my 20-year escape plan, that was down the window. And as I said, I didn't even have my shotgun in my room. So now I have my shotgun. I have the sheriff's department on the phone. And I still have my shoes three rooms away at the front door. And I, so I throw on my clothes. Now I throw on the, the lights. And there happen to be big spotlights outside the house when I turn on the main light switch. So I throw on the lights. And they're standing out there now illuminated in lights are sheriff, are the sheriff for the county in southern Idaho where I was. From the time that the other individual on the ranch had called the sheriff and said there are people here, 40 minutes had taken place, 40 minutes before the sheriff got there. And that's as fast as they can get there. That's just how remote and rural this place is. So we found out, and I'll go to the break, obviously I'm alive, I'm well, but I can tell you I'm completely unnerved. We find out that the individuals had taken a car from a halfway house and had driven it to the ranch and had hidden it behind a old ranch building. So they had been there before, and the individuals that the car was registered to had a criminal record and were out on parole, and as far as I know, were in violation of that parole. Lucy said, that makes you feel good. So to this day, we don't know who the individual, they have not caught the individuals, but that's who the car was registered to. So as I end up this story, I can simply say this. There's no rehearsing. There is no dress rehearsal. There's no fire alarm for the real deal. No matter how many times in your mind you run through, this is what I'm going to do if someone breaks into my house. For the first time in my life, I realized that plan is not going to work. I never rehearsed it. I never rehearsed climbing out the window, throwing on my shoes, doing those things. But I've learned a lesson, and that lesson is, be prepared. This happens at lightning speed. I had no idea where those searchlights were. Turns out they were the sheriff. But I'm simply offering a lot of you spend times in remote places in America. Remote America, rural America is not quite as wonderful as it once was with all the, the problems that we've got with, with drugs, particularly meth. Um, it's, it's not quite the same place. And these people that they think were trying to break in were, in fact, probably crack addicts looking to steal something. Uh, anything of value so they could go and get their fix. So that's my story from the great indoors on the great outdoors. I hope it helps you all as you think about what you would do if you ended up in a place you never want to be. I'll be back in just a moment with much more on the great outdoors show. And I can assure you it took my heart rate <laughs> a long time to calm down after that experience. I'll be back in just a moment. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN. And first, a message from our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland 
Chevrolet dealers. In the field, hunters need to be alert. Sense the environment around them and know exactly where they are. Communicate seamlessly with their dogs. And when it comes to pickup trucks, you want the same qualities. The all-new Chevy Silverado comes with an available 4G Wi-Fi hotspot for seamless communication. It's designed to handle the toughest loads with advanced trailering technology, tough on the road and off. And the all-new design gives you more cargo space than the competition. Chevy Silverado is the most dependable, longest-lasting, full-size pickup on the road. Plus, there's never been a better time to see your local Chevy dealer about the Big Fix lease. It's an amazing lease deal that can lower your monthly payments and give you more Chevy, all for less money. That's a treasure hunt. So head to your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and see why Chevy is the number one best-selling brand in Chicagoland, now eight years running. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors show. Charlie Potter here, and we're going to go back to more traditional things in the Great Outdoors show, and I'm not going to talk about the fire drill I went through last Saturday night, even though it wasn't the fire drill, it was the real drill. Um, No fire. Let's talk about something that is that my great friend and the longtime host of the WGN the Great Outdoors Show on WGN, Bill Cullerton. What a man he was. So much, so much great advice for so many people, including myself. He said, Charlie, what you always want to be aware of is that speck on the horizon. As many of you may recall, Bill Cullerton was an ace fighter pilot in World War II. And it was, he said, it's the speck on the horizon that you got to watch out for because that's what's going to get you. So for the next couple of minutes, I want to talk about that speck on the horizon, and I had this conversation with an individual who's really well-versed in the outdoors across America, and that's Kerry Loft at the Max McGraw Wildlife Foundation this week. It's an issue that I raised with him in a conversation. We're all talking about this program, R3, which is objective is to try to sustain, if not increase, the number of individuals hunting. And there's been lots of discussion as to whether or not we can increase the number of individuals hunting. Do we have the habitat to increase the number of individuals hunting? I said on the air that I think if we just maintain the number of individuals we're hunting that are hunting now, we will be doing well. We'll be an ever smaller percentage of the population. But the reality is we're also continuously losing habitat. So it's unlikely that the number of hunters we have tonight now Given the habitat losses we're going to face, let's say in the next 50 years, it's unlikely without major management breakthroughs that we will be actually able to sustain the number of hunters we have. But let's just take for a moment that we can. The question that I asked Terry Luft and that's that speck on the horizon is we have become to a large part in the bird shooting world we have become a shooting preserve world. There are not enough wild pheasants, wild quail, wild chucker to be able to accommodate the number of hunters pursuing them. Fortunately, we've got lots of other wild birds, turkeys, doves, ducks, geese, but pheasants and quail in particular. Today, if you want to hunt pheasants and quail, Chances are you are going to either be shooting completely shooting preserve release birds or a mix. 
To be able to go and shoot wild quail today is very hard to do. West Texas, you can do it there. You can certainly do it in the mountains, Intermountain West. There's fantastic quail hunting and on public lands. Can't do much of it in the southeast. All the bob, wild quail bob white land is tied up and has been. And in the south, there's virtually no quail at all wild. So in Illinois, by the way, we used to shoot over 2 million bob white quail in the state of Illinois. I think we're down to a couple hundred thousand. Pheasants, we shot over a million. I think we're at three or 400,000, if that. Um, so the numbers have plummeted across the country. And when you go to South Dakota, chances are, if you go to any of these places, Paul Nelson, any of these wonderful shooting lodges, you're shooting released birds. They may be released in September, several thousand at a time. They may have been released a month before you got there. There is zero, absolutely zero probability that you are shooting just wild birds. There's no way the population could take it. There's no way the habitat supports it. You have states like Montana, which are now spending $2 million to put game farm pheasants into hunt public hunting areas, so there's something to hunt. Idaho's been doing it for a long time. Other states have. My question, the speck on the horizon is, there are fewer and fewer people raising pheasants and quail and chucker in 2022 than there were in 2000 or 1980. What we've had is a consolidation of the industry, and I'm going to run out of time on the show to really get into this, but, but it's something I want us to think about. We've had a consolidation of the industry. Now there are a few very large producers of birds who sell their birds broadly to the largest shooting preserves, and there are a few smaller individuals, but that's about it. Game bird associations have, have virtually evaporated. What is going to happen to the future of hunting in America if this trend continues? And this fall is going to be a horrific shock to the individuals who shoot shooting preserved birds because the price is, has gone up exponentially. They may, they may feed pheasants chicken feed, but chicken feed suddenly is very expensive. So the price of a pheasant has gone, it's, well, it's more than doubled in the last seven years, and it's going to go higher right now. What's going to happen when the states say, uh, we don't have our budget for 20,000 pheasants, uh, we only have a budget for 10, and, and across the board there are fewer pheasants being released, that means there are fewer opportunities. When we base a large portion of our hunting industry on game farm birds, we are vulnerable. That's the speck on the horizon I think we ought to be looking at. We'll talk more about it, but I think it's quite real. What happens if the shooting preserve industry does not do well? Guess what? We're not going to have many pheasants and quail to hunt. I'll be back next week with much more in the great outdoors. I thank you so much for listening. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN.